Welcome to Edgewood Sermon Audio. This is sermon number 16 from the Gospel according to Luke. The sermon was preached on March 21st, 2021 uh, by me, Pastor Matt Harmless. And in it you will hear Luke's... Um, Luke shares his the, the first sermon of Jesus. Not the first one, but the first one that Luke shares. And it may not go the way you think it goes. So... Uh, Hope this is beneficial for you. All right, guys, glad you could be here today. Um, I will, for the sake of the recording, I'll say this again. It's so important to be a part of, like if you, if you can't be here, we put these things online so that you can listen to them later. I, I really think there's things that you're going to miss if you don't do everything you can. I know that in the world we live in, we have those issues. Like, I know that we have nurses that have to do the every other weekend thing, and I know there's things that come up, um, and I, I get that, but you'll miss out if you miss sections of this, because we're, we're doing this. We're studying Luke together, and we're learning about who Jesus is. And like I said, this passage that we're starting with, Luke 4.14, this section, this is Jesus' Galilean ministry, okay? So this goes from... 414 to uh, chapter 9, verse 50, where it's really talking about this ministry he has in Galilee. And like I said, there's themes, ideas, things we're going to start to unpack that won't be fully unpacked until later, okay? And I I love Luke because, like I've told you since the beginning of Luke, I feel like we're getting to know Jesus almost fresh. Like, who is this person that we're following? Let me give you a little bit of uh, background before I pray. Let me give you a little bit of background here, uh, Luke 4, 14 to 15. This is the transition passage, verses that Luke uses to go from what he was talking about to this next portion. He says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Uh, which, by the way, I love how often it's said again and again and again. He did this in the Spirit. This was done in the Spirit. He's, he's living a Spirit-led, Spirit-filled life. Okay, And so Luke just keeps saying it again and again. And so... He returns. Where's he returning from? Where was he just at? What just happened? Come on. You guys were here last week. Right? There was temptation right before that. There was that baptism. He gets baptized. He goes out and he spends some time in the wilderness. We also know from piecing together from the other Gospels that there was some time he probably spent down in Judea doing some preaching. And that's hinted at here because it says next, and a report went, uh, uh, went about him. A report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. And so there's hints that there was some preaching and things he was doing already before we even get to this part. Now, just so you have a kind of a reference, this is Israel at the time of Christ. So you have Judea is down here. Um, this is where uh, um, John was ministering along the Jordan River. So he's probably baptized out in this area. The wilderness area is down here. So he's made it back up, and this is Galilee. We're going to miss, mention a couple places here. Nazareth is going to be mentioned. That's where he grew up. Okay, so that's going to be important in this story. Capernaum ends up being kind of a base where Jesus does a lot of his ministering from. That's kind of his base. And it even gets mentioned in our text today. Um, and so we're going to be talking about these things. This, this area, this northern section of area, or of Israel, okay? So this report goes out about him throughout the whole country. They're talking about this Jesus. Notice it says he was being glorified by all. So everybody's hearing him going, man, that's a good speaker. 
That's, that's good. That's some good stuff right there. Like they're, they're, they're latching on to it. Okay, that's what that's talking about. Okay. Now, I'm going to have to do some setup here uh, before we really get into this. And so I'm going to pause right here. I'm going to pray. We're going to read the next two verses, and then we're going to dig a little bit more setup before we get, really get into what this text is about. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, before I go any further, before I take another step or say another word in this sermon, God, I just ask now that you would guide and direct uh, the very words that I say today, that they would be of you and directed by you. Lord, I pray that I would be able to speak today by the power of that same Spirit. God, that's our hope. That's our prayer. I pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen. He came to Nazareth, so he's come back up north. He went to Galilee, then he goes into Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, back home, hometown. And as was his custom, this is a regular thing that he does, right? Goes to the synagogue. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So every Sabbath, where's he going? Church, right? The synagogue. And he stood up to read. Now, this is a we don't actually know, history is not for sure where synagogues, like their beginnings, the history of synagogues. We think it was during Israel's Babylonian captivity when the, the temple had been destroyed and they, the, the Jews were, they, would, they had made these local places for them to gather to read scripture. And the custom was, and you can, you're going to see this in this passage, the custom was many times they might sing psalms. We don't have a lot of documentation from this time period. Eventually it got really like routine exactly what they did. But one of the things we think that they did is they would sing some psalms together. It, it reminds me of church, what we do at church. They'd sing some psalms together, and then somebody would they'd get the scroll out, they'd get the Bible out. In fact, the, the word that you're going to see here, scroll, is the, the Greek word biblios, right? So it's, it's, they're getting the Old Testament out, and they might have this scroll or this scroll, and there would be designated readings that they might have for that day. And, and they would have men from the community. Um, many times if there, somebody had had some standing or had been a rabbi like Jesus is, they're going to say, oh, we're going to have this person speak to us today. And obviously, he was, he had, he, there's a report about him, right? This is a known speaker. Be like, if we go, oh, I heard so-and-so was coming to town. Let's have, and then he comes to church and goes, hey, let's have him do the, the reading today. So he gets up, and that's what we're going to see. They would read, and then they would sit down. Right? They'd stand up to read the scroll. They would sit down to teach. That's how they would then teach. So they would teach from a sitting position. It'd be a, a seated in a position of authority over what they're about ready to talk about. That's what's going to happen. Okay. So, on this Sabbath day, he stood up to read. So there you see this tradition. So the, the Psalms were over. Jesus gets up. He stands up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And so there's a scribe sort of individual that's probably responsible for the different scrolls where they're at. And he he had pulled one out and he hands it to Jesus. And Jesus, knowing Isaiah. Which, uh, by the way, uh, Hebrew, this ancient Hebrew like this, many times would be, there was, a lot of times there wasn't even spaces in the, the word, like it wasn't chapter and verse like we think of, and the Hebrew language wouldn't even have spaces sometimes between the words, and there's no punctuation. So you'd have to know your scripture to be able to find where you're going. And that's exactly what Jesus says. He knows Isaiah, and he unrolls the scroll, finds the place where it was written, and he's getting ready to read something, okay? Now, this is the first recorded sermon of Jesus that Luke is going to share with us. So Luke has specifically selected this one to say, he's given us an idea of this, what it, this is what it was like when Jesus preached. Okay? Now, 
take a step back. I'm gonna, I, need to, I need to bring some pieces on, into the, the field here, okay, like chess pieces or something. Okay? I'm going to bring, bring some things up here. So let me, let me give you three things. One, I need to talk about the passage he's going to read. It comes from Isaiah. In the process of talking about that, I also need to talk about something called the year of Jubilee. Okay? That's going to be referenced. So you need to know what that's about if you understand what he's going to say. There's also two Old Testament stories that he's going to reference as well. Afterwards, in the sermon portion, when he does his explaining, he references a couple stories. So you need to be familiar with those. Because the people that would have heard him would have known these stories better than we know our own history. Okay? For, because for them, it was their national history, it was their family history, it was their religious history, it was, import, it was their scriptures, it was all that. I mean, so they knew these things. So when Jesus references them, it's important that you have an idea of what they might be thinking when they heard this. So let's start with a couple things. Let's start, first of all, with the, what's known as the year of Jubilee. Okay? The year of Jubilee is something that goes all the way back to Leviticus. God tells them, in fact, I'm going to give you this, Leviticus 25 says, you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. Now, what he's talking about, these seven years, every seventh year, there would be a Sabbath year. And they would let the land rest so they wouldn't plant things in that year. And so the idea was, through the rest of time, God said, I will bless you through the other these, these six years, so that you can store up, and then on the seventh year, you're going to let the land rest. Okay? The whole land. The Sabbath year. Every seven of those, this is what this text says, is what's going to be known as a, it comes to be known as a year of Jubilee. And God says, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a Jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. So if property had been sold that was supposed to stay in this family, maybe things had come up, and you said, I, can't, I, I, I need some money, desperate, and I have to sell this chunk of land, uh, on the year of Jubilee, it would go back to the original owner. In fact, there's, it's so interesting when you read through Leviticus, there would be aspects of this where they'd say, you, would, you could count down. Because somebody might be like, well, I don't want to buy this piece of land. If, what if the year of Jubilee is next year? Right? Well, that, that, that actually talks about it. So you, you count down. You say you're, you're basically, and the Bible says you're basically paying for the time that you're going to have that land. And so they might pay less of a price if you, okay, we're only going to have this amount of time. But if you sold at the beginning, they might get a larger chunk of money out of it. But this is the thing that they did because God said, I want to do this. Slaves were also freed in the year of Jubilee. So somebody had said they, said they were overwhelmed with debt, and they said, there's no way. And, and so they're, they're, they're you know, give themselves over to the slave to take care of the debts. Say, I'm just going to work for you. You're going to basically own me. I'm going to work for you. This year of Jubilee, whatever debt you had owed, clear, right? Year of Jubilee, okay? Israel, over the course of its history, had not been keeping its Sabbath years or its Jubilee years. And so as you can imagine, things were not just. And people who had were getting more, and people who had not were getting less. In Isaiah chapters 58 and 59, they get rebuked for their lack of justice. Isaiah rebukes them for these specific things, for not keeping their Sabbaths, not keeping their Sabbath years. But they're glimmers of hope. And then comes chapter 61. And what you're going to hear in chapter 61 is something that has to do with the Messiah coming 
And basically, it's going to be a jubilee of jubilees. The jubilee to end all jubilees. Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So you can hear these ideas because they had not been doing what they ought to do. Here the people that are being affected by this. There's hope is given to them. He had sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. These are like prisoners of war. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right, that year of jubilee. The day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. A jubilee of jubilees is coming. By Jesus' day, people who studied this Old Testament scriptures in Jesus' time leading up to that, rabbis knew this is talking about a Messiah that's going to bring a jubilee of jubilees. So it's kind of like when we're talking about, when we look at a passage talking about Jesus coming back one day, this is how they looked at this. There's this Messiah coming, and he's going to set everything straight. Jubilee of jubilees is what it's going to be. Okay, peace set up. Okay, got that little piece there, jubilee, Isaiah. Okay, two other little stories here. One of them comes from 1 Kings. Jesus is going to reference this. In 1 Kings chapter 17, a dark time in Israel's history, there's a prophet named Elijah. And one of the things that this particular story talks about is how Elijah said, it's not going to rain until I say, God told me to tell you, it's not rain until I tell you it's going to rain. Ends up going on for three years. Dark time. In the process of this, first Isaiah or Elijah goes to the brook Kareth. Get my pointer out right over here. Uh, Elijah was actually the, the uh, Tishbite, right? He was from this area, but he went to this little brook. But then God says, when the brook runs dry... I mean, it's not raining, so you kind of expect that, right? Eventually the brook goes dry. I mean, we're talking famine conditions. God says, I want you to go to Zarephath. Okay, now there's Zarephath. It's, it's up here. Now notice, it's not in the green, is it? It's not in Israel. Now for a, a, a Jew reading this, this is a hard passage for them. Because God doesn't send Elijah to one of the widows... In Israel, he sends Elijah to a widow that's not even in the country, a widow of Zarephath. He, Elijah's going to get up there. He's going to meet this widow outside of her city. He's literally going to, if you read uh, 1 Kings 17, 8 through 24, you're, you will hear Elijah arriving at this city of Zarephath, and he meets the widow outside the city. And she's actually, when he meets her, she's picking up sticks. And he goes, um, could you get me a drink of water? And she says, Sure. <laughs> and then he says, when she goes to get the drink of water, he says, um, while you're giving me a drink of water, could you bake me uh, uh, some bread? Make me some food. And she goes, she goes, basically, why not? I was actually out here getting some sticks so I could go back and make a fire and bake the last of my flour and the last of my oil to make one more meal for me and my son, and then we're just going to die. We're planning on dying anyway. So, sure, join us. Right? Elijah says, appreciate it. <laughs> but then he also says, you know what? Your flour and your oil is not going to run out the whole time that I stay with you. And it doesn't. Miraculous. But for the Jew, for the Israelite, thinking back on their history, this dark time where they were a rebellious, rebellious people, God did not send Elijah to one of them. He sent the Elijah out, out of the country, all the way up here, land of Sidon, between Tyre and Sidon. 
a godless place. That's where Elijah's sent. Keep that story in mind, okay? There's another one, 2 Kings. You're going to see a similar trend here. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Um, after this time, Elijah has a, a successor, Elisha. Elisha is another prophet. Elisha is ministering in Israel. There's the big, bad Syrian country up here that's dominating and controlling Israel at this time. They're at war with them. While this is going on, a commander in the Syrian army who has a captive Israelite that is captive up in Syria, young girl, this commander of the Syrian army gets leprosy. He's going to die. And he says, I mean, it's known throughout the, the, this terrible disease, whatever this, in fact, leprosy in the Bible, there's, there's a lot of things that could have been leprosy. There's, it's just many different types of skin conditions were called this, but many times it was something that led to being an outcast and eventually dying from this. Terrible way to go. Naaman, the Syrian commander, enemy of Israel, this slave girl says, well, you know, we have this prophet in Israel. He might be able to point you God, through God, maybe. I don't know. Naaman, who they're dominating Israel at this time, so they're able to just go in with a procession of people to this dominated land. They find Elisha, and long story short, Naaman demonstrates humility by going to the Jordan River. Elisha says, go to the Jordan River, dunk yourself, was it seven times? And when you come up, you're going to be clean. Now, for an Israelite, we, 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 we know this one from childhood, many of you do, right? Remember the flannel graph? I can remember my mom's flannel graph, and there's like the, he had that little half version of Naaman, that, so it looked like he was in the water, and like he went down, and, oh, and he didn't really want to, because like, the, oh, the Jordan River's muddy and gross, why couldn't he have sent me to one of these nice clean rivers in my place? And, and one of his servants says, just do it, it I mean, he's, he's told you to do this, just do it, and he's like, I'll, I'll do it. And he does, and he comes up seven times, clean, no leprosy, healed, miraculous. Do you think there were no lepers in Israel at this time? What do you think? Actually, we're going to find out. <laughs> we know that there were. Jesus is going to point that reality out. But keep these two stories in mind of an outsider being a recipient and the insiders missing it, not getting it. Keep that in mind. Let's go back to Nazareth, okay? Back to Nazareth. Here we are. Back to Nazareth. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written. And he's going to read. And he reads Isaiah 61. They, they're going to hear this and think, Messiah. He's going to preach about the Messiah coming. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me. By the way, the Greek word for anointed right here is, is where we get the word for Christ. Christ means anointed one. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so these Jews would have heard this. They would have said, oh boy, I love this one. Oh, I love this one. So good. Hope filled. He rolls up the scroll, hands it back to the attendant, 
he sits down. And Luke uses a phrase here. He only uses it a few times. He uses it more than most of the other New Testament writers. This, this eyes fixed on him. This is pin could drop feel. Just can you picture it? Jesus reads this passage, rolls it up, hands it to the attendants, and he goes, puts away. He goes down, he sits in his seat of authority to teach. And everybody in there is going. I mean, they'd heard of him, right? Wasn't there a report that had gone out about him? They've heard of this guy. I've heard, oh, I've heard, good, you know, like, I can imagine them going to synagogue. I heard that Jesus guy is going to be there today. That guy is awesome. I heard him the other day. My cousin was down in Capernaum, and they heard about what he did down there. It was amazing. Life changing. I, and, and so everybody, they've been talking about it the whole time. You know, during the Psalms, they're like, oh, he's, I see him up in the front. I bet he's going to talk to me. Do you think he was, was he the one that was going to talk? I don't know. Maybe it's, a, you know. Joseph over there is going to, no, I don't think, it, I think Jesus is actually the one that's doing that. He is, I know, I hope he is. Oh, you know, I'm so glad I came today. I was going to sleep in. <laughs> right? And he does, he gets up and reads it, and they're like, ooh, interesting choice out of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Okay. God rolls it up, puts it down, sits down to teach, and they're like, right? You ready for it? What's he going to say? He says this. In fact, what he's going to say is something that nobody else on the planet could ever say. He sits down, and he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's a pretty bold claim. This Messiah that you're hoping for, from a seat of authority, says, Today's the day. You're hearing it. It's happening. We're there. Oh, really? Now, the, re- the response is, 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 is fascinating. Okay? This is an interesting study into humanity here. Let's see what happens. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words. I mean, he's a powerful speaker. Powerful stuff. Good stuff. Amazing. But they're also saying something else. They knew what he was saying. I don't, but I know this kid, guy. In fact, I heard some rumors about him. We see that in the other Gospels. One of the Pharisees at one point insults Jesus by saying, we weren't born out of adultery. You think those rumors lingered? Mm. We know from the other Gospels that what good, like, no, the Messiah doesn't come from Nazareth. We're in Nazareth, y'all. You don't, you don't come from here. <laughs> I said it like that because that's Nazareth. They, they were considered the, the, the hick area of Israel, right? In fact, there was a saying in those days, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. I think there's people said that about Danville's from time to time. (laughs) (laughs) Anything good come out of Danville? I don't think so. And they're saying, is this this Joseph's son? And and I, I get the feel that in this particular case that Luke is sharing with us, there's a little bit of that like, ooh, this is really good, but wait a minute. Um... That's Joseph's kid. 
I mean, is he saying what I think he's saying? It sounds like he's saying he's the Messiah. Not pointing to somebody else like John. Like, I like John. When John was preaching, he's like, somebody else is coming. Jesus isn't doing that. He's going, it's me. Right here, right now. It's happening. In your hearing. Jesus says to them next. Doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb. This isn't a proverb from Proverbs. This is just a saying. Doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself. And he goes on, putting, you know, prophetically, I think, knowing what they're thinking. Not necessarily reading minds, but just being a wise individual and going, I know what's going on right now because I know what I said. I know that they know that I know what I said. How are they going to respond? I think they're probably sitting there. In fact, you guys are probably sitting there going, right now, physician, heal yourself. And then he says, what what we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Another clue that he had been ministering before this. And there's some things, some miraculous things possibly that he's already done that they'd heard about. So he's saying, basically, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, prove it. Now, if I was Jesus, which, thank the Lord, I'm not. If I was Jesus and I cared about people, I would. I would prove it in that moment. That's me. That makes sense to me. Like, if I do something right now, they'll believe it. Because they're they're not like, I mean, they're already saying gracious words, but um, you're Joseph's kid, right? I mean, he he could have said, I am, but did you know that my mother was conceived by the power of the Spirit of God. He doesn't do that. He doesn't show his genealogy. Look, I'm, I know I'm from Nazareth, but we're actually descendants of David. Doesn't do that. And they're going, why don't you do something now? Get us out of our poverty. Get us out of our blindness. Get us out of our captivity. Do something. I mean, we're waiting for the Messiah. You say that you're the Messiah. I mean, we were just talking yesterday, Jesus, that, man, like, this Roman stuff, I am sick of it. I mean, the world is going to pot. Where's the Messiah coming? And then you're going to sit up there and tell me you're him. We want to see you do something then. Jesus says, and he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now don't miss what he means by this. You got to think about what he says next. Listen to what he says next. But I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. He goes on. Remember that story? We just I told you that story a minute ago. Remember that? And there were many lepers in Israel. Naaman wasn't the only leper in the area. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. None of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Now let's put two and two together. What is Jesus saying? 
think he's saying, maybe this isn't for you. Right? Let's go back to that passage you read and think about it a little bit deeper here. Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. That's that Christos, right? The anointed one is who he ends up being. To proclaim, now in the Greek, proclaim good news is one word in the Greek. You'll, you would recognize it. It's, it's where we get the word evangelize. Evangelize. Who's he? You're going to notice here, the main thing that this Messiah is doing in this particular passage has to do with preaching. Evangelize. Proclaim good news. Evangelize. Evangelion. Proclaim good news to the poor. Proclaim it. Then he uses a different word for preach. Instead of evangelize, he uses a different word uh, twice here. The first time he says to proclaim good news to the poor, and he says he has sent me to proclaim. It's a different Greek word, but to proclaim, like, shout out. Proclaim it. Say it loud. Show it. Proclaim three things here. Liberty to the captives, the prisoners of war. Recovering of sight, proclaim the recovering of sight to the blind. And proclaiming liberty again to those who are oppressed or abused. These people, proclaiming these things to them. And then a summary statement from Isaiah to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This year of Jubilee, this Jubilee of all Jubilees is coming. So who's this message for? The poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed? And maybe, just maybe, I think Jesus is saying, it isn't for you. One of the commentators I was reading put it this way, and I'm going to tell you right now, I agree with this wholeheartedly. He says, it is the poor in general who sense their need in the greatest way and as a result, respond most directly and honestly to Jesus. They characterize concretely the person in need. This is what the person in need looks like, the poor. Their material deprivation often translates into spiritual sensitivity, humility, and responsiveness to God's message of hope. That's a similarity you see with both those other stories. The widow had nothing. Elijah comes along, she goes, sure. Recognizing her own lack, willing to share with someone else. I mean, just there's that humility. Naaman, eventually, humble. Okay, I'll dip in the dirtiest water you tell me to. Right? I'm going to trust. Same with the blind or the oppressed, the captives. I think you have to see the situation. All throughout the remainder of Jesus' ministry, he goes from taking people from their need toward their greatest need. You're going to see that over and over again. Many of the people that are responding to Christ are in a state of some type of physical need. And so often he'll meet that need, but then he'll turn right around and say, but you know, there's something else. You'll see him feed people and say, well, do you know what you really need to eat? He'll heal someone of their blindness and then talk about the Pharisees, how they can't see. They need it just as bad, if not more so. Again and again, you're going to see Christ do these things over and over again. 
the one who is oppressed many times is made aware of a deeper oppression that they've been in. The one who is captive realizes a more horrific captivity. The one who is blind becomes aware of another blindness. The one who is poor becomes aware of his great poverty. The situation is only an outward representation of something deeper and more important to deal with. Now, Jesus is going to do this throughout his ministry. He's, go, he's, going, to do, he's going to feed people. He's going to help people. He's going to heal people. He's going to, he's going to do physical things, as we all ought to do. But his focus is on the greater, the real poverty, the real oppression, the real captivity, the, 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 the real blindness is spiritual. And I'm here to rescue you from that. Which is why people that really get this gospel stop praying for prosperity when you get it. People that really get this gospel, this good news, sprinkle prayers for healing with a joy at the healing they've already received and a humble, submissive gratitude <clears throat> that they have been made aware of their Savior through that adversity. These are the kind of people that we'll see even in the New Testament singing in prisons. Rejoicing and praying on death row. Recognizing that they stand in the good favor of God in His year of jubilee in Christ. But this isn't, it doesn't happen for everyone. In fact, they got completely what he was implying. They were picking up what he just dropped, right? I mean, they're like, okay, we'll prove something. Show us. Show us. You might say, hey, show us. I'll tell you what right now, Jesus says. I'll tell you what right now. There are there a lot of lepers in Israel. God did not send Elisha to all of them, but to one named Naaman who wasn't even in Israel. There's a lot of widows in Israel. God did not send Elijah to any of them. He sent Elijah to this widow in Zarephath. They knew exactly what he meant, and you're going to see that by what they do next. You ready for what they do next? Do you think they're going to go, ooh, that cuts. Um. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their, their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Now, I've had some people not really like what I was preaching before. I've never had this happen. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> Think about about this though. I mean, they were just talking about his gracious words. But Jesus didn't give me what I want, so he's going off a cliff. God didn't heal my grandmother. He's going off a cliff now. He did, I don't need him in my life. He didn't give me what I wanted. He didn't give me that job. I mean, if he's really the Messiah, I prayed and said, could I get that job then? Okay, show me. I'll believe in you, God, if you do this. He didn't do it. Well, Jesus can go off the cliff then. 
I don't need him in my life. My life is a wreck and you didn't steer me away from that guy. Why didn't you intervene in my bad choices and make sure I didn't end up in this predicament? You didn't protect me from that. You're going off a cliff, Jesus. The reaction really isn't that much different than how many react to Jesus today, is it? How many people have, have literally said, ooh, Jesus is where I like his words, I like his words, and, and maybe just said, okay, Messiah, rescue. And then he doesn't do it the way they think he should. And they go, don't need this Jesus in my life. There's a sad irony on how this story ends. I, I know that maybe you may have come here today hoping for like just the hope-filled. <laughs> well, there's hope. If you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm poor. I'm blind. And some of you I know have been in situations of life that have brought that reality to you. So, so you, like, and God's done that work in you. Right? He's done that work because, because you, weren't, you were poor and then you suddenly realized, I'm not just bankrupt financially, I'm bankrupt spiritually. Some of you have been sick and said, I'm not just sick physically, I'm sick spiritually. Some of you have said, I, I'm not just oppressed physically, I'm oppressed spiritually. And you've cried out to Jesus and this Jesus has saved your soul. But there's still a sad reality to what happens in our world. Some go, you didn't do it the way I thought you should do it, Jesus. They get him out on the edge of the cliff. Can you imagine them pushing him, right? All around him, pushing and pushing and pushing him up to the edge of the cliff. That's the, the picture you get. Gets up to the edge of the cliff, and they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're, doing, they're going to do it. He's going off the edge. This guy's going to die. He claimed to be Messiah and didn't back it up, and so we're going to kill him. Push, 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 push. They get up to the edge, and then something miraculous does happen, but not the miracle they wanted. I... Um, Mrs. Dillon was mentioning today, somebody talking about, heard something on the radio, I think, what, what events in Jesus' life would you love to have seen? This, is, this would rank up there somewhere of things I would like to have seen. What did this actually look like? Uh, Imagine mob pushing, and they're going to kill somebody. And they get him up to the edge of the cliff, and then he just goes, I, I, what did that look like? I mean, we know why it happened. It wasn't his time yet. And it wasn't the way it would happen. This would happen eventually. A mob would have him crucified. But not yet. And so Jesus goes, it's not yet. And he just walks through their midst. I wonder if they were still yelling. I'll kill you. 
The other gospel writers share an interesting tidbit. And a couple of the commentaries I read picked up on this little tidbit. He never goes back to Nazareth. And two of the commentaries I read put it this way. They said, some rejections of Jesus are final. How's that note to end on today? Some rejections of Jesus. If, if, you, if you come up to me and say, Matt, how does that in God's grace... All I can tell you is this. Those people Jesus never went back to. Are there people that have lived, that have heard the gospel message much of their lives and reject and reject and reject and then one day they die? Has that happened in reality? Yes, it has. For anybody that's in hell today, there is that final rejection. They didn't know when it was going to be. But for all of their, Jesus, you're going off the cliff. What do you do with this? I think you do what Jesus does. You preach the gospel. Evangelize, like he says, the poor. If you have physical needs you can help people with, you try to do it, thinking the same way Jesus does. Can Maybe this might open their eyes to how Jesus meets even greater needs. Can we do these things? Absolutely. But for you, if you're here today and you're sitting here going, I've been chucking Jesus off the cliff my whole life. Don't do it again. Today might be the day that you realize I have a bigger poverty than I ever realized. I've got a bigger oppression than I ever realized. All these other things in my life is not the real problem. And frankly, God, at this point, I don't care if you rescue me out of any of them. Love it if you did. But God has opened your eyes in this moment. I mean, you're, you're already, he's, the healing is happening. The fact that you can see that is the miracle. Rejoice in that. Lord, Wait, you're opening my eyes. To my blindness. You're opening my eyes to my poverty. You're opening my eyes to my oppression, my captivity. These, these things. That you're rescuing me in this moment from the real issue. That, my friends, is who Jesus is. He is the jubilee of all jubilees. And if you're sitting here today and you know that, you rejoice in it. Many of you daily. If you're not rejoicing in all that Jesus has done, then, then maybe you're, you're missing it. Maybe you're like these other people going, well, I really want to rejoice. His words sound really gracious, but uh, show us something. Physician, heal yourself. Do, do, do for me what you did for them. I saw what you did for them in Capernaum. Can you do that for me too? I saw you did it. I know you did it. I know you can. You do that. I'm, all, I'm, I'm, I'm yours, Jesus. But when Jesus does it, I mean, honestly, I, it, it's, it, there's, 
There's no arrogance in Christ at all, but there is definitely this sense that he goes, that this isn't how it works. You don't dictate to me how I'm going to save you. And you see so often with people that come at Jesus this way, like, you, you want me to? You better do you, uh, for them. Do for me. And then I'll believe. So often that's when Jesus says, no. You know, there was this widow in Zarephath. Didn't even see it coming. I sent a prophet out to her. There was Naaman working for a corrupt, evil army. But you, my friends, are going to miss it. And then you go, all right then, well, you're going off a cliff. Don't do that. Don't miss the Savior of the world coming to you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for all of who you are. Lord, passages like this can be a challenge. This is who you are. And I'm thankful, Lord, that Luke wrote these things down so we get to know who you really are, not just what we think you ought to be, but who are you really? Lord, I know that the more we learn about who you are, we will not be disappointed when we get to know you. You are the year of jubilee, the jubilee of all jubilees. Already heaven fills itself with captives who are freed, blind who can see, oppressed who have been liberated, and the poor. Oh Lord, I believe the, the heaven is filled with the poor who have found their riches in you. Lord, I ask for each soul in this room. Lord, if they are blind, let them see. If they are oppressed, give them liberty. If they are captive, break those chains. If they're poor, Lord, fill their cups. But Lord, I would ask that you would never do any of those things on a physical level alone. What a great tragedy that would be. In Christ's name I ask for this blessing upon all of us. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.